And our reading continues uh, today from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discernment of spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. Though we read today from chapter 12, the matter of spiritual gifts first appears in the opening words of Paul's letter to the community at Corinth. As one of the primary reasons that Paul wrote his letter to them in light of tensions within the church about the ordering of spiritual gifts and the competing claims of power and status by some who misuse their gifts to wield authority over others. As a result, the community found itself divided into factions with allegiance to various leaders and outside influences. So in the introduction of his letter, Paul encourages the church to work together, saying they are not lacking in any spiritual gift, as if also to say that in spite of the many difficulties the church presently endured, Paul believed that they too possessed the shared capacity by virtue of the promise of God's presence among them to not only discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but also to become active participants in the Spirit's ongoing ministry through their mutual commitment and experience of shared life in service to one another. And as willing respondents to God's living word of grace, be granted the strength and the courage and the inspiration in order to remain in relationship with one another, pressed down but not destroyed by contemporary pressures to allow the subject of their disagreements to tear them apart. Because as Paul says to them, you might be divided, but God is not. 
Paul's opening words to the community in chapter 1 include a poignant invitation for the Christian community to decide together which is more important to them. Continuing to dig their heels more deeply into the shaky ground of their present conflict, allowing their differences to come between them, or the heart of the gospel and the promise of God to us in Christ, that each of us, different though we, be, though we are, is called together into the one people of God, a living fellowship known as the church, who are gathered in by one baptism, sustained by one love around one table in the name of the one God. Rather than interpret the differences in the church as a sign of weakness, Paul understands that our differences can become a source of strength, bearing witness to the manifold wonders of the grace-filled love of God, who calls us each by name from where we are, not in spite of who we are, but because we each belong to God. To find the interpretive lens by which to understand Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians, we need look no further than chapter 1, wherein Paul outlines the cross of Jesus as the very source of our life and the power of God. How? Because the cross of Jesus reveals as counterfeit all existing worldly claims of power and authority, including those that some in the church in Corinth were seeking to claim for themselves. The people of Corinth well understood that crucifixion was a weapon of the Roman Empire, used freely to dictate the imperial superiority of Caesar over anyone who threatened or sought to question such authority. And what the Roman practice of crucifixion also reveals is the dangerous cultural tendency of individuals and communities to claim power over others by dehumanizing them, taking away their voice, dishonoring their experience and contributions, or refusing to see them altogether. But whenever we refuse to see another person as a human being, created and redeemed in the image of God, we risk distorting reality and fashioning a world of our own making. What is more, we too risk no longer being human ourselves because in doing so we have made ourselves God. But once you understand that it was God who in Jesus of Nazareth suffered the cross, who endured the criticisms of the crowd, the pain of the victim, the shame of the abused, who became an enemy of the state, buried in a borrowed grave, who underwent the horrors of violence and in whose death sided with the many innocent, oppressed, and nameless peoples of history, and that this Jesus is risen, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and lives now nevermore to die or suffer again, bearing witness to the wisdom and justice and righteousness and holiness of God, who is love. Once we recognize this, then we are left also to reconsider not only what the true source of power is and where it resides, but also what that power is for. And power is not so that we begin to see one another as less than. It is not so that we can dominate and destroy and lord it over others. No, God's power in Jesus Christ is given away 
a gift of love to be shared for the salvation of the world, a participation in the fullness of the nature and character of the divine. So Paul goes on to say to the community, Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Another translation reads, Look at your situation. For by ordinary human standards, not many of you were wise, not many were powerful, not many were from the upper classes, but God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. Why? So that no one can boast in the presence of the one who was crucified and is risen. It is because of God alone that we are in Christ Jesus, and it is Jesus who became as wisdom of, from God for us. So that we, who had nothing to our own name, would be given an inheritance, the promise of that which by grace belongs to the children of God. And that is our identity as the people of God and the true source and the power of our togetherness. Children of God is who we are called to be to one another because that is who we are to the God in whose promises we have been gathered together. So if power is to be understood and interpreted Christologically through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb, then what does Paul have to say about spiritual gifts, the evidence of grace, and the signs of God's loving power through the Holy Spirit at work in each of us? In today's reading, Paul links the work of the Holy Spirit to the message of the gospel. That's why he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, because the power of the Holy Spirit is the power of the gospel at work in us. And though God's Spirit is not divided, each of us is given a unique manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the purpose of bringing to light the unity and the fullness of the manifold wisdom of salvation in its rich variety, a unity and fullness that we would surely not experience if we each and our gifts were the same. Thus, the desire of God is not that we would come into the partnership and cooperation of the Spirit through our likeness, but that we would come into partnership and cooperation through our varied manifestations of the one Spirit of God. So to one is given a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge to another. To one is given a measure of faith that is expressed through another in gifts of healing. To one is given to perform deeds of power, and to another the tools for discernment. To another various kinds of language, and to still another the interpretation of language. And all of these things, Paul says, all of these gifts and more are produced by the one and the same Spirit who gives to each person as the Spirit desires to give for the purpose of building up the community as a whole 
for enriching each member, enabling us to hear and to see and to share our faith together. Theologian Frank Machia beautifully articulates this further when he says that unity is a mutual participation of others in communion. And we need all of the gifts that an increasingly diverse unity can grant the church as it seeks to discern God's will in the world. The gifts that Paul outlines in today's reading, a list that is surely not meant to be exhaustive, is nevertheless unceasingly relevant for us, since we cannot help but see what lies underneath what Paul is expressing. The ways in which spiritual gifts are meant to enrich our experience of the good news itself, bringing us closer together and in communion with God through one another. Thus the life and presence of the Holy Spirit is no mere sentiment, but a way of expressing the particularities of love's wisdom and the lives that we share together. In other words, we need each other in order to grow and to mature as one church in our awareness and our experience and deepening trust in the abundant fullness of the loving presence and promise of God. But that doesn't happen without our mutual cooperation. And in fact, it cannot happen whenever we misuse our gifts in order to seek advantage over others or by claiming authority in ways that demean or silence other people, or when we deem that anyone, either another or ourselves, is without spiritual gifts altogether. Another way of saying that the loving Spirit of God is not in us, has not claimed us, does not know us. Sometimes, we become so sure of our own perspective, so sure of what God is saying to us that we can no longer hear what God is saying through the people around us. But when we ignore the witness of love's wisdom in another person's life, we surely also ignore the witness of love's wisdom in our own. And yet we undermine one another's grace-filled contribution to the whole, often by our own self-preoccupations, placing ourselves in the center, or by setting our own experience as the norm that others too must follow. But whenever we grant primacy to our own experience and good feelings, we risk objectifying those around us, and everyone around us is deemed valuable only for what they contribute to what we already know. But the Spirit's manifestation, Paul reminds us, the gift of the Spirit in each and every one of us makes possible a divine disclosure, a revealing of that which we could only come to understand because where two or three are gathered in my name, says the Lord, there am I in the midst of you. It is in the seemingly ordinary ways that we show up for one another that God's power of love in us is being revealed. A vision of what our life together can only become when it is shared. Energies, ministries, relationships, desires, 
that only become fruitful when we set our hearts on those around us. And we begin to see and to hear and to experience one another as bearers of the Spirit's gifts, as bearers of the living presence of the divine. And in view of the cross, such a declaration is surely no license to arrogance or narcissism. If anything, it is a calling to the highest degree of humility, what theologian Terry Cross calls the radical decentering of the self and the reordering of our lives in view of the love of Christ, a life lived with, among, and for others, lived in response to the faithful love of God. To declare as insignificant the Spirit's presence at work in any one of the children of God is to close ourselves off to what the Spirit is saying to the whole church. And each of us is necessary. Each of us plays a part if we are ever to discover the wisdom of the Spirit for our time as the unfolding and ever clearer proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. It is only as each one is given a voice that the church will fully hear and discern the call of God in the shared wisdom that we can only hear when each one is listening. Amen.